I'm Rob. And I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. This is episode four so far of mm-hmm. our October 2021 horror theme month in the month of October. And uh, Nate, you were leading tonight, so why don't you tell us what we watched. So tonight we watched the 1962 film Carnival of Souls. And this is a film I, I, I did, did an excellent job this week of not giving any indication to Rob of what we're going to watch. He didn't know the title of the film we we're going to watch until a couple minutes before we started watching it when we looked it up online. This film is in the public domain, so we were able to watch it on YouTube. And evidently has been in the public domain ever since it was released yeah, because, because it never included a copyright claim. Yeah, yeah I'm sure we'll talk about uh, various trivia related to this film, but we haven't really talked about it since we started watching it. You knew basically nothing about it going in except for maybe a few things I told you a few years ago, roughly when I first watched it. What are your first thoughts on Carnival of Souls? I liked this one. I liked the... The premise was in, like, the setup of the premise was a little bit, eh. Mm. But once she comes out of the water, uh, again, we're spoiler cast, but once she comes out of the water and, like, you know, begins that journey and starts all of that stuff, you know, what's in what's purported to be Salt Lake City, I was hooked. And I thought I found it fairly enthralling. I thought it, most of it worked quite well. And I was impressed by the film. And I'm impressed by, yeah, like, given its budget, uh, this was quite an impressive film. Yeah. This is a movie, I was thinking about this as we were watching this, this is a movie about moving to Salt Lake City and immediately regretting it. Mm-hmm. Is this something you relate to? No, well, no. (laughs) But a a lot of people, some people do. Uh, So the back story of this movie is kind of interesting. So this was directed by a man named Herrick Harvey, who appears as the creepy man that uh, our lead actress sees throughout. Herrick Harvey worked for a company called Centron Films, located in Lawrence, Kansas. They did educational and industrial films. And one time while traveling back to Kansas from California, he was driving at night and he saw the salt air there sitting on the Great Salt Lake off of the, the highway. Off of I-80. And it just made an impression on him. He's like, that, that is creepy. That's a creepy looking place. And that is the genesis of this film. He decided that let's try to make a, a theatrical film. Let's try to make you know something that's not drill bit training or hygiene films and so this was an independently financed film shot on location in both kansas and salt lake city some of it in salt lake city and the surrounding area real guerrilla filmmaking yeah he did not get permission to film on temple square i feel pretty confident well they were outside temple square not on you know in temple Mm. square and and some of it i don't know whether they would have gotten permission or if they just met someone who cooperated, but like that scene where she's running up to the police officer on his motorcycle, you're not going to get Salt Lake City Police Department to let you do that without some level of sign-off. Hmm. So we should talk about the plot. Yeah. Can you summarize the plot? So these three ladies are in a car. They get challenged to a drag race by a couple guys in a, in a car. And in the drag race, they're going across a bridge in Kansas when the guys the term that's used later on in the movie is they crowd them off the bridge and their car goes off the bridge into the river and it's hours later they're trying to find the car to look for the the girls and one of the girls just climbs out of the river 
And she is our lead, Mary Henry, played by Candace Hilligoss, who then proceeds to travel to Salt Lake City for a organist job, working in what appears to be a Catholic church, though its actual filming location was a Presbyterian church in Kansas. Oh, okay. But it looks like it's a Catholic church, but, you know, it's not the biggest church in Salt Lake, is what the minister says. And proceeds to, uh, from the drive on, she's seeing this ghostly figure and or ghoulish figure, and just it progresses that she's perturbed by these visions and sees them more and more and in different places and starts to realize realize that at times people can't see or hear her. Eventually gets weirded out by this and tries to run, and ends up back out at Saltaire for the Carnival of Souls where she joins the Carnival of Souls. Yeah. Was that a a fair synopsis? That's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah. I was also going to ask you, what on earth do you think is actually happening in this movie? Well, obviously, like she says, she was not intended to have returned, and so Mm -hmm. somehow she came back but wasn't meant to, and the souls or the ghouls or whatever you want to call them Mm -hmm. out of Saltaire that have seen her realize this, and so that's why they're haunting her, and... Mm -hmm. Eventually, she joins them. It's got an interesting dreamlike sensibility to it. Honestly, the thing that it reminded me of is the recent Twin Peaks: The Return, dealing with uh, which has to deal with certain kind of multiple realities because the ending kind of presents two possibilities, which may or may not be mutually exclusive. Because there's the cops and the people that know her at the Saltaire. Her car is over there, but this is where the footprints stop. And then at the same time, they flash back to the Kansas scenes, and they finally dredge up the car, and there's three girls' bodies in it, not the two that they thought died. Yeah. So did these things, what was real and what was not real, was it both real? The film doesn't make any commitments, which I'm perfectly fine with. It it doesn't really have to make sense, because it's a a dream logic kind of storytelling. It's uh, really kind of a different kind of kind of film i mean it's 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 a it's a horror movie but it's also kind of it's a like kind of an art movie yeah and it's a psychological movie and it's got an interesting combination of things i think some of the cinematography is quite interesting the organ score by a man named gene moore is is pretty memorable and creepy a lot of the acting is pretty stilted and wooden. These are not professional actors. Yeah. Candace Silagos is was kind of an off and on actress. Like she would go years, sometimes decades between film projects. So I, I, we'll get into more of this later, but I briefly read while I was glancing at stuff about this movie, her agent refused, refused to represent her after this movie. Oh really? Yeah. And she is still with us. She is in her eighties. Yeah. And uh, Sydney Berger, who plays John Linden. Hmm. You know this has been remade, right? Oh, it hasn't been remade. It was remade in 1998. Oh, okay. John Linden, who plays Sidney Berger, or sorry, Sidney Berger, who plays John Linden in this film, appears in the 1998 version as well as a police officer. Be kind of curious to to see that. Yeah. Man, is he a creep? Yeah. He is. And he's a jerk, the pervy and, neighbor. Yeah. Who is just very insistent and overbearing on her. Exactly. And then when she becomes kind of desperate and scared he he's just like oh you're freaking me out lady i don't yeah. need this 
You're getting clingy. I'm out. Like, yeah. you know, he doesn't say that, but yeah. yeah. We have Mrs. Talbot. Yeah, played by Frances Feist. She's the landlady. You have Art Ellison, and, and who's the Mrs. minister. Mrs. Talbot, I think we should point out, Mrs. Talbot, is not going to get... She's not going to make a fuss about how many baths you take. She wants yeah. to make sure yeah. that her tenants know this. You have Art Ellison, who is the minister at the church, who accuses her of... I was making jokes because, like, you can see that one of the music books she picks up is great organ music, and there's a second book she picks up, and he's accused her of playing sacrilegious music and, you know, all this stuff. And I said, well, is it great organ sacrilege, you know, is the second yeah. book? And you have Dr. Samuels, who's played by Stan Levitt. You have the organ factory boss, played by Tom McGinnis. Uh, the carpenter in the organ, organ factory is Forbes Caldwell. And your gas station attendant is Dan Palmquist. These are not professional actors. They do not have pictures on their IMDb page. About the only ones that do are Art Ellison and Candace Lagasse. Yeah. So a couple years ago, coming back from one of our periodic visits to uh, Wendover. Wendover, we did stop by the, uh, the Saltaire. What did you think of the use of the Saltaire in this film? I had not actually seen Saltaire depicted on film from that era. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to see how it's changed from then to now. Of course, Saltaire has gone through multiple iterations over the decades. We should talk about what it is. It's a kind of a bath. They describe it as a bathhouse. It's, it was a resort on the Salt Lake. I think originally it probably went back to the late 19th century and it had different iterations over time. And by the early 60s, uh, when this was filmed, it was abandoned basically it's still it's in use again today they've done some work on it it goes back it's in periodic use yeah it's i mean in in large part it's effectively still abandoned it has occasionally been used as a concert venue it has occasionally been used as a dance hall but nothing real significant or consistent in my lifetime you know i think they they haven't already they need to do a stilted dancing to organ music and heavy makeup event there because that place just is recreate made for that it. Scene. just recreate that it's scene. like for a Halloween event just yeah, yeah. and there's so well, when we went I'd already seen this film and I was a little disappointed that there wasn't all the crazy crap around because there was a lot left of the kind of the boardwalk that they were able to film in and what looked like a 1920s era uh, kind of amusement park. With the with the mattress slides and the swirly tunnels, yeah, and they had a bunch of the uh, the decorations up in the dance hall, and it was just it was wonderfully creepy. Most of that part, I think, was actually filmed in Kansas. Oh, really? But yeah, I mean, the shots that were Saltaire were obvious Saltaire, and there was more behind Saltaire for a while. Some of what you see in this that's not at Saltaire now is some of the peer related stuff. Mm. But yeah. And interestingly, one of the things I read was there was a reel of film from this that was damaged and lost in development. Hmm. And that reel, when she goes back out to Saltaire the last time, all of those ghoulish figures that come out, or that you see dancing, they come out from behind the the posts of the pier. Okay. So they, they don't... She doesn't show up and they're just there dancing. They actually, like, while she's there, materialize and start to come out. They do have a scene where the camera goes to these things sticking up out of the the ocean that looked like probably part of a pier. And maybe that, that is was related to where yeah. it got kind of cut right yeah, around that exactly. spot. Yeah. Really interesting imagery. 
in this. Yeah. One thing real quick that I think you'll appreciate, the damage to the bridge, mm-hmm. you know, when they run the car off the bridge, cost the filmmaker $12. Oh, really? But apparently, the town of Lacombe, Kansas, or Lecompton, Kansas, only required that the railing of the bridge be replaced in order to grant permission to film there. Oh. That was it. So it cost him $12 to repair, and that was it. How about that? Yeah. So there's the Kansas parts and the Salt Lake part, and most of this was filmed in Kansas. Yes. And what they did in, in Utah, in some places that are still recognizable as what, what they yeah, were, Washington like Square, town, Washington Square, yeah. which is uh, outside the city county building. You had Temple outside Temple Square on, on presumably North Temple. You had the shots on uh, out at Saltaire. And then I couldn't tell if that mechanic shop was in Utah or in Kansas. But when she's driving, that doesn't make any sense because she's driving into into the Salt Lake area, west to east. Yeah. If she had been in Kansas, she would have been coming the other way. Coming the other way, she wouldn't have passed the Saltaire. Yeah. So the film actually never says that the Kansas scenes are in Kansas. Presumably California. Well, I think that the organ factory was supposed to be in Kansas, and actually, and in the mechanic shop, that that poster on the wall that you liked, okay, is advertising a new station in Kansas. Oh, okay, I'm not sure, but of course, most people who see this film are not going to have been familiar yeah. with Salt Lake's geography. It's very to know. loose on the geography. It's done for thematic purposes and story purposes, but yeah, it may. I mean, Saltaire is half an hour or more out of downtown Salt Lake. That's only like 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Would have been more back it's in It's just uh, slightly past 60s. the airport, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, uh, this, uh, I mean, it, the only difference in what it would have taken back in the 60s would just be changes in speed limits. So, IED was already there and things of that nature, so. The director on this had a super small crew, so when they came to Salt Lake and throughout the filming, I guess the entire crew for the film was five people other than the director. Wow. So when they did their Salt Lake filming, like that would have been easy to do guerrilla filmmaking, you know, like over in Washington Square, if you had a small crew, so. I, I didn't think, even though, you know, the, the creepy neighbor was wonderfully creepy. I mean, he, he did everything he wanted in that part. Hillegas is interesting in this. She, she's got an interesting look. She's got kind of an interesting bearing. They talk about her being just historically antisocial. You know, she survives, in quotes, this car accident, and she's leaving town like two days later, and her boss at the organ manufacturing place slash organ school was like, are you going to stop by and see your parents on the way home? So, nope. And she's just really kind of short with people and just really not interested in people. She kind of zones out doing the organ thing. That seems to be about the only thing she really enjoys yeah, it's it's an interesting characterization. It's it's interesting her independence and and the era in which this was made. And there's that first scene where uh, Lyndon, Mister Lyndon, is bugging her at her apartment when she's just getting out of the bath. Yeah, and she has to kind of force him. He's literally like forcing his way into the room. And he, she has to kind of force him out, and then. She, she locks the door, puts the, the chain on it, kind of turns around, and I, I felt like this this line came to my mind, which is, dang it, it's 1962. I've put up with this for a long time. Yeah, so when did you first see this film? I'd heard about it for many years. I first saw it 
probably around five years ago. Okay. Uh, down here, it's it's memorable. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite the it's there's the local curiosity element of it, and just the novelty of it. And and this is a film that did no serious business when it first came out. It's the only real theatrical film that Harvey directed, but. Because it ended up in the public domain, it ended up being shown a lot and had kind of a revival and was discovered, you know, decades after as being a cult classic or becoming a cult classic. So I've read that this did poorly in the theaters. I've read that it had a $30,000 budget, which was all raised in one weekend. Have you seen any figures for what it did in the box office? No, I don't think there, there really is. Yeah. I, I imagine it at best broke even probably lost money. Yeah. But it must have been fun for, for the people involved to years later be invited to revival showings and that this film had this second life well, far beyond what its initial life was. Because it immediately went into the public domain. It just was picked up on TV showings and and that's where it built its following was on those TV showings years later. So, yeah. And it's just it's just different, you know. It, it's hard to... Um, the remake, I'm sure, is like it, but it's hard to think of anything. Well, so the story of how the remake came to be is Candace Hillegoss actually wrote, let me look this up so I get it accurate. She wrote like a sequel. Okay. And took it to a director who ended up using it as inspiration for a remake. But let me make sure I get that right. In the late 1980s, Candace Hillegoss, and this is coming from the trivia section of IMDb, wrote a treatment for a sequel to the film. She took it to Peter Shelby Jr., who decided to instead produce a remake, Carnival of Souls, 1998. Hillegoss had no part in that production. Are you familiar with Peter Shelby? I'm not. I'm not either, so... How would you rate this film? It's not a great film, but it is an interesting film as an artifact and, and otherwise. I would give it three stars on the four-star scale and a probably seven uh, on the ten. Yeah, I was bouncing between a 7 and an 8 on the 10-star scale. Mm-hmm. I agree with the 3 on the 4-star scale. Yeah, it's 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 fun it's to watch. It's beyond what you might think it was at first glance. I mean, it looks like kind of a disposable cheapie. But there's some real art to it and inventiveness to it. And it just... Uh, lightning in a bottle may not be the best word for something that wasn't a success on its original release. But it captured something that at least in subsequent decades came to resonate with, with more and more people. Yeah. And I would so. love to do some kind of like local filming location thing, but again, it sounds like most of those filming locations are way out in Kansas. So, Well, we could do the ones here in Utah. Mm-hmm. You know, and we should eventually do a local filming locations thing, even if it's multiple movies, just going yeah. around doing stuff with various locations. But yeah, if you, if you would like to watch this movie... You can find it on YouTube. It is a public domain film. I'm sure it's... I, I also saw that it was streaming on AMC+, Plus, so AMC must have recently shown it. But it's not that hard to find because it is a public domain film. So I don't know that you could actually buy a copy of this, but you can stream it a lot of places. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this one? No. Okay. I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Recorded Podcast. Yeah, that was surprisingly fun. Yeah. Yeah. What are we watching next?
settings. I've got a bunch of movies. Rob doesn't know what they are. We'll pick one. Maybe good, maybe bad. Watch it and talk about it. Welcome to the loft. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things I was talking with Jackson about... Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> was the oddity that recording with you is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I was talking about how I was messaging him, and I was like, yeah, I can't tell you how many times we've been sitting in the loft of my condo at 11 p.m., and Nate's yelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, take, taking, taking something in a decades-old movie, Personally, yeah, yeah. Why isn't this cooperating? Positively, no refunds. There we go. There we go. Okay. Here we be.